0: okay so i think it started how's it going so i was gonna send you this article um that beautiful voice just threw me off i gotta process (laughs) bro you know
1: you know who came up with that who ahmed oh yeah Bro, he, on the spot, he just started singing that, and he, for some reason, Ahmed has a melodious voice. So he actually like did the harmonization perfect. He was going up and down, and it was just like I was mesmerized. If I was an Arab woman and I heard someone sing that, I yeah. would just I would drop my what do they call it? <laughs> I take off, every, I take off everything.
0: The stuff the all right um back to a serious conversation yes yes go ahead send me the link let's talk about this npr article i think i did, did i send it to you through telegram I, I don't know how to send it to you over zoom can i you is there a chat box send it to me through discord oh there's a chat box now i'll send you on zoom i'm such a goofball i use this for work and i didn't know there was a chat box nobody chats on zoom That's you're thing. so goofy Roshan. sorry johnny Here's the article. Mm. So it says, I'll give you a high-level summary. The the title Low level, please. Would you say? Low level, please. Okay. <laughs> Muslims are twice as likely as any other religious group to com- or attempt suicide. Isn't that wild? In the US, not Muslims okay, internationally. No, what's their basis by that? Uh they they conducted a study, I don't know how uh strenuous it was, but it was uh, um, it, it basically they 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 looked at a bunch of people from you know different back backgrounds they used christians jews muslims and uh i believe muslims were the highest at like eight percent and then the average of other groups was around four. And oh so wow that, i'm
1: actually i'm reading that right now and it was a uh, gemma psychiatry for anyone who doesn't know that that's a pretty legit study journal that's mm-hmm. the journal of american medicine Psych- psychiatry it says eight percent of muslims Attempted suicide in their life compared to 6% of Catholics, 5% of Protestants, 3.6% Jewish. Wow. Yeah.
0: And, and you see there the reasons. It says, okay, why why is that the case? Uh, and then it goes right here. Mainly, the researchers attribute it to two reasons, two factors, religious discrimination and community stigma. So we were discussing this article in class. And so they they we read it, right, before class. And then the professor goes, okay, so what do you think the reason is? And so then yeah. everyone starts... Jumping in, giving, in, uh, giving their, their two cents, right? Mm-hmm. And um, one one guy said, I think it's because a lack of uh, social groups that Muslims don't are not very well connected with their elders. And then someone adds to that. Yeah, I think it's because they don't have a lot of uh, uh, friends in their direct community. And then someone said, I think it's because they don't have role models to follow. Uh, and all these people, you know, they're like much older. They're like 30s and 40s. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm the only one in there that's like, you know, that actually is part of that generation that that's having that depression, anxiety and suicide issue. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I kind of disagree with all that. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't think it's any of those reasons. I think it's kind of the role model reason, but I don't I don't think it's directly any. I think it's more so uh, in addition to what they're saying here, you know, the actually exactly what they're saying here uh when they say what did they what words did they use they said religious discrimination i think it's in community stigma i think it's it's connected to the fact that muslims have an issue being muslim in a secular society that they're struggling with the push and pull of religious traditional conservative values and living in a world where anything and everything is allowed you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. it's expected you know what i mean so um when they say uh, religious discrimination, I'm, I think, yeah, for sure, that's, that's another factor because we're under the spotlight so much. You know, something happens in Afghanistan, and that average kid that's in chemistry class has to answer to it, you know? That high schooler that's sitting trying to pass his classes and graduate and go to a good college is having to answer, why do you dress that way? Or why do you pray five times a day? Or why do you do those things? Why do right. you believe in them? You know? And so there's that added pressure of being a Muslim. And even if you're not Muslim, it's, it's hilarious because they did a study. Uh, where they they saw that certain people uh, that didn't identify as being muslim pre nine nine eleven post nine eleven even if they didn't identify as Muslim they were discriminated as if they were so people that were Muslim but not practicing were classified mm-hmm. as Muslim, Arab Christians, Sikhs, all of them got put into the
1: mix. So basically anybody foreign that kind of looks Middle Eastern such. Yeah. Um yeah.
0: and and so and so it's an interesting case because religious d- discrimination is very strong for sure. Uh, but obviously it's not to the degree that it's unlivable. You can't live in America. Oh my God. It's so bad. Of course it's not that bad. Um, but the other factor is, you know, trying to fit in to American society and knowing whether or not you could be both. Some people, honestly, they, some people honestly believe that you cannot be American and Muslim. Those two are like antithetical. They just don't go together. That's just, just not true. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think it's those reasons. and uh, and um you know, they, in class, when we were discussing it, I think maybe from their perspective, they think it would be, it's because they don't have friends because I'm Muslim and I'm fine. But really Muslims are probably the, you know, the least likely to have that problem, right? Because Muslims have very strong family ties. It's like part of the religion. You can't cut people off in your family. It has to be a strong family bond, mm-hmm. uh, unless obviously there's abuse or other exceptions. Uh, and so we're the least likely to, if anyone's going to have that problem, of they don't have friends or a direct community or whatever it would be non-muslim societies right non-muslim groups because they they get kicked out at 18 you know don't tell me about your problems keep your problems to yourself be independent whereas muslims it's very you know what i'm saying for, i think it's it. yeah yeah they're very close to that. and i think it's it's actually i think it's it's not only a muslim thing i think it's actually a foreign thing like immigrants typically have that like indians yeah. and chinese and no it kind of is a foreign thing yeah so so yeah, what they say
1: when you when you kind of brought that up they disagree with you
0: yeah uh one dude he was like um what did he say he was he he told me so you're uh you look like you're one of the post 9-11 era kids I was like yeah that's that's about right like I'm born pre-9-11 <laughs> you know but why does you know, that my, sound like an insult it, it, I, I know right <laughs> and, and, he, and then he goes he uh, he so he says that and uh, so he's like, Oh, so you so you don't really know what it was like to, to be Muslim pre-9-11. I was like, Yeah, he's like, Okay, we won't hold it against you. I was like, Okay, I appreciate that. Wow, okay. <laughs> like, uh, oh. but you know, it's 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 a funny thing because um um they they don't see the world from our lens, they just don't see it that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's actually uh,
1: something called the, the curse of knowledge, where once you learn something your kind of way that curse of knowing more actually blocks you from being able to see others' perspectives.
0: And it's actually yeah, exactly. a very
1: common thing. And a lot of people have it and they just, they never see the other way.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and you, you, there's a bunch of different ways that you can react to that, like not being able to fit. Okay. So what do you do? There, there's actually, this, this is a great talk by uh, Sheikh Abdullah bin Veya, uh, uh, who's a, a Mauritanian scholar. He gave a talk at the world economic forum. And he was asked about uh, racism and terrorism, all this good stuff, right? One thing he said, he said Muslims in the West, they kind of have three things that they can choose, right? He said uh, either they isolate, assimilate, or integrate. And he said isolation as in they stay away from the community at large and live their own in, in their own little enclave, like a Muslim city within America, right? Mm-hmm. Or they assimilate, meaning they go all the way into their uh, – uh, they, they basically lose their identity, lose their culture, and, and they, they pick up practices that are un-Islamic. Or they integrate. They become part of the salad bowl. You know what I'm saying? Like a salad bowl versus a soup. You don't lose your identity like a salad. You know, the, no. every, every part of it is like – Different. It's, yeah, it's itself. It didn't, it didn't lose its flavor or taste. It didn't become one fl- – like a soup is one flavor.
1: Like all solids and liquids, you mean? That, that would make more sense.
0: Well, s- salad versus soup, you know what I'm saying? No, because the
1: salad is solid. And yeah, the soup is liquid, exactly. it all mixes together.
0: Exactly, that's what I'm saying.
1: Would, yeah, so they're not losing their cultural identity, is what you Exactly, saying. and that's okay. what he's
0: saying, is that that's the sunnah, that what you're supposed to do is you become part of the community, but you don't lose your identity. And no one expects you to lose your identity in America. Maybe in France, you can't be something hyphen French. You can't be French American, French African. You you just French, right? But in America, you can be whatever you want. You can be Hispanic American. You can be Arab American. You can be Indian American. You could be you. Can, there there. There's no one expecting you to give up something of your own to become American. Because what is what does it mean to be American? All it means is that you believe in the ideals of the Constitution, which is, and and the, and the amendments is that you know you believe in. And freedom. Uh, ultimately, freedom! Yeah, ultimately freedom! it's freedom. Yeah, exactly. It's freedom of religion. You know, freedom of speech. Uh, and, and, and all those rights that you have as an American. That's, that's exactly what it means to be an American. At the end of the day, uh, you could be whatever else you want. You could be Christian, atheist, Muslim, Jewish. It doesn't even matter who you are or what you believe. All it matters is that you live and let live. And so you don't have to lose a time. You don't have to lose your beard if you want to have a beard. No, one, no one's asking you to stop. And if you want to wear, like, like you know, some really, really conservative Muslims do, if you want to wear all black and in Yaqab, no one's stopping you. However, though, let me add a note about that. Mm-hmm. Sheikh Bin Baya is bro, I'm telling you, you got to look this man up. He what was talking, he, he got a question. Huh? What's his name? Yeah, Bin Baya, Like B-I-N and then B-A-Y-Y-A-H. He was talking, so, one time someone, a caller calls him and asks him, he says, uh, I live in Belgium. This is like uh, some Saudi guy that's living uh, as an expat in, in Belgium. He says, I'm living in Belgium and my wife wants to take off the niqab. Right? Like he's all upset. He's like, my wife wants to stop wearing niqab because for <laughs> them, for them, they, yeah. they have to wear it, right? They're yeah. like really, really strict hanbalis. And the hanbalis, mm-hmm. like Imam ahmed said that the niqab is like, not only is it uh, mustahab, but it's almost like wajib, mm-hmm. which means it's like highly recommended. Uh, and so they, they believe in, in wearing the niqab, which is like the face veil yeah uh, and so he was like you live where he said in belgium and he's like and what's the issue and he said my wife wants to take off in the club and he goes subhanallah he goes my brother you have all these positions in islam some of which are more difficult to practice and some are easy and you live in the west and you're asking us about your wife not wearing the yaqab which is one of the more strict positions and he said don't you understand you're going against the sharia it's like whoa how is he going against the sharia sheikh and this is, this is exactly what he says. He says, because the principle of Sharia is not to follow arbitrary rules and judgments. You don't just go and take the, the, the Quran and the rules and you go, okay, this it says this, do this, do this, do that. It's, it's, there's a goal implied. And this is one of the Fiqhi principles from uh, Sheikh Ibn I believe, which is what he mentioned, is that the min maqasid al Sharia, from the goals of the Sharia, تحصيل المنافع وتكميلها وتعطيل المفاسد وتقليلها that one of the goals of the sharia is to increase of that which benefits you and complete it and to limit that which harms you and decrease it and he said my brother by wearing by expecting your wife to wearing this niqab in a western land like Belgium he said you're increasing the people's hate for Islam and in that situation that you're in, it may cause them to pass legislation against Muslim, against Muslims and increase the harm against the community. So you're not doing something good. Now, like we're just is,
1: talking about the, the niqab, the, just the face veil. We're not talking about the whole headpiece, the yeah, yeah, covering yeah. and everything. Just, yeah, no, just no, no, the face veil.
0: Yeah, yeah, because the, 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 the hijab is not something that someone said is, is, you don't have to wear. It, you know what I mean? Exactly. But they're um, treating it like it's the whole hijab. Yeah, and so, and so he's saying like you have – Islam is like, it's like a spectrum, you know what I mean, of valid opinions. Some of it is closer, more liberal, and some of it is more conservative, but all of it is valid. You know what I mean? That's, mm-hmm. that's the spectrum. This guy is picking the one all the way to the right, making it so difficult when he could be picking the one that's a little more on the left, and both of them would be accepted. And what he's saying is that you're not helping the Muslim community, and especially in the West. He said the, the, the Americans or the Muslims living in the West need to be way more on the left. They need to be picking the positions that are easier for him. He even goes as far as to say, and this is something that's real controversial for sure, uh, that Muslim women in the West should be allowed to, to marry without a wali. You know how like the conditions of marriage are like three things. You need two witnesses, you need mm-hmm. the dowry, and then you need uh, a male uh, relative to you know, do the marriage procession for her on her yeah. behalf. Like her father, if her father's not around her brother, if not her brother, her uncle, something like that. So there's a mm. hierarchy. And he says that there's a position within the Hanafi school that states that it is allowed for a woman to marry without a wali. And Muslims in the West should take that position. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. so, and so people that make it so difficult, that make it so, so strict, and they, they, they pick these rules that are the most strict in Islam, thinking that by doing this, I'm doing more hasanat when it's not the case. You know, it's... There's a reason why we don't have a papacy. There's a reason why we don't have an Islamic hierarchy, why we don't have a pope. It's, it's for this, it's a rahmah, it's a mercy, like Allah ta'ala, says, or the Prophet said that when Salaman when, al-Farisi, uh, uh, when he came to ask the Prophet said, uh, about a question about whether it's halal to eat butter from a certain animal because he heard it was haram for the Jews and he was wondering if the Muslims are going to pro- apply that rule because he was a new convert at the time. Uh, he said that, anything that that Sharia does not comment on is halal for you right so he was saying to him that this is a mercy from allah Allah did not forget it's a mercy to you that he did not call upon that and so uh when the ulama go and they figure stuff out right and they they think and they talk together like is this halal is this haram and they have differing opinions it's okay to pick an opinion that's different upon you know i.e fatwa shopping you know Seriously, like it's okay to pick something that not all Muslims agree with, as I've long as it's it a valid that. opinion.
1: That's new for me. Satwa shopping.
0: Yeah, like they call it that. Dude, that's not haram. It's not haram at all. Like on the Ami, like a person that's like the average Muslim that doesn't really study Islam. If he goes to a scholar and a scholar tells him, as long as he's a valid scholar, of course, and you can tell if someone's a valid scholar if you ask people about him. Uh like like there's a, there's a whole issue about who's a scholar in Islam. You remember that uh Turkish journalist, Mustafa Akul? Mm-hmm. Remember him when he came to, uh, to USC, dude, you know, you know about that guy. He he actually, he's part of a, uh, a, a policy think tank in DC, like a really, uh, prestigious one. I forgot what it's called. I think it's, a. Uh, can't remember the name right now, but he's actually, he's actually a big shot. Uh, and he came to give a talk at little old USC. Anyways, he I said, um,
1: I'll be honest. I don't remember.
0: Yeah. Actually. But he, he, where was I going with this? What were we talking about right before Mustafa Akil? Fatwa uh, shopping? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fatwa shopping. Uh, oh, scholar. Yeah. Why, who is a scholar in Islam? So the remember there. Okay. So uh, let me just refresh your memory. We were, we were discussing something and we were saying that uh, in his opinion, this is Halal. And then I said, well, I, I apologize, but you can't just say that. You know what I mean? Like, Because he said in, this, in my opinion, I can't remember what it was, but he said, no, in my opinion, this is Halal. And we were at a table discussing with non-Muslims. You know, with some Christians and and, and a Jewish dude. And uh, someone asked him, is this... Wait, was this the... Was this that religious teacher? No, 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 no. No. Yeah, yeah, he was there. Yakub's religion teacher. He was there. Yeah, yeah. 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 And there was
1: food in front of us, whole table. And then you got into
0: a very heated discussion with the man.
1: No, it wasn't heated. It was just... It was pretty heated. You guys were... (laughs)
0: No, no no upset. no, no I, I was not upset i remember it vividly i was not upset i was i was having a good fun conversation because the students started hopping in and started arguing against yeah you. he was the, the evil guy there yeah 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 the other guys got a little upset um because i think they wanted to get a word and and me and him mm-hmm. were having a back and forth so he said no no this is how that. and then i go okay but you can't say that and he goes why not and then uh you have to be a scholar and then the the the, the white dude goes but isn't he a scholar though and then i was like oh okay now i have to clarify." like cuz the word ulama is different from the word scholar in english scholar mm-hmm. is a very general general in english scholar is like a teacher like anyone right it could be yep. anyone yep. anyone could be a scholar someone with a phd or a masters can be a scholar but in islam a scholar is someone uh, like a alim which is the word that i was using it to translate to alim to scholar a alim mm-hmm. is someone really special like not everyone is a alim like they're, they're, their numbers are in the the you know probably tens of them in the world today you know a alim is someone that has studied islam like there's levels of islamic scholarship right there's the first level is ammi that's someone that doesn't study islam at all right that's the average muslim doesn't study islam if he has a question he goes to a scholar he asks it scholar gives him an answer and he goes back to what he was doing okay there's the guy above that who's called talib ilm the student of knowledge. Mm-hmm. That would be the majority of Muslim scholars and du'a and people that teach Islam and educate and make videos on YouTube. Like those are tulab al-ilm. Like I would be considered Talib al-ilm because I study Islam and because I'm not any scholar level, but I would be considered a student of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the level above that one, it depends on which path you go now, okay? So you could go into a medheb which is a school of thought in which there is a methodology of learning Islam. And you can go and become talib of a madhhab, and they have different levels depending on the madhhab. I believe the Maliki madhhab, uh, the first level is Mujtahed al-Nawazil. Mujtahed nawazil is someone that is allowed to uh, form opinions based on precedent from his madhhab. Like if if there's a question about something, he can look to the method and see what the answer is for that. But he can't make he can't form new opinion. That's a higher level. And then there's there's mufti And Mufti noazen is very similar to mujtahid Uh And then there's a mujtahid muqayyad Okay, so that's mujtahid. Okay, so I, I should explain mujtahid. Mujtahid is it literally means mujtahid means like in Arabic proficient, like someone that's really, you know, studious. But in this context, that means someone that's like. He, mastered something you know he mastered the knowledge and he can form his own islamic opinion based on his knowledge right Mm -hmm. like uh, right now when we ask a question like is it halal to do this we go to a scholar the scholar himself sometimes can be a mujtahid who can give you his own opinion without looking at precedent that's a mujtahid very few people are mujtahid though and so the mujtahid is different in two ways there's mujtahid muqayyad bil madhab and then there's mujtahid mutlaq which would be the alim. Mujtahid Muqayyid bin Madhab is a person that he can form his own Islamic opinion based on the methodology of his school of thought. So Maliki, Hanafi, Hanbali, and Shafi'i. There's four of them. Uh, The mujtahid mutlaq means absolute mujtahid. Means this guy uh, is so solid in his Islamic knowledge and, and, and understanding that he can form his own Islamic opinion with no precedent. And this is very rare in Islamic uh, uh, scholarship. Very few people had that. How do you get that, right? That, now, now is the question. How do you become a Mujtahid Mutlaq? And who decides who's the Mujtahid Mutlaq? there? And that's hope? what
1: you were saying there yeah. was when you were talking to that one
0: yeah, person where exactly. you
1: said you need to be a scholar to form an opinion, basically.
0: Exactly, exactly. And yeah. so how do you become that? How do you decide, okay, this guy's Mujtahid Mutlaq? You need to get something called teskia. What's teskia? Teskia literally means purification, but in this context, it means like affirmation. So it's a, there's no hierarchy in Islam, in Sunni Islam, at least. The, the Shia have a, a hierarchy. They have the Ayatollah who's on top. He decides their affairs and he points them in whatever direction he wishes. There's no hierarchy in, in Sunni Islam. You know? Uh, it's, it's a peer review system. You know, when you log on to JSTOR, and you look for a medical journal <laughs> and, you, and you want to understand, hey, is this a solid medical, you look at what other people said about it right 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 did other people replicate their study did other people say good things about it and who are those people that affirmed it did are they prestigious people are they lead you know leading doctors in their field or whatever that's what it is and so this guy that's a mushedad mutlak does not give himself the title other scholars give him that title of his time and so when someone asks uh about Sheikh yusuf al-qardawi who gives you know very uh liberal fatawa religious edicts for his time so it's, it's more liberal than others perceive but i don't think they're very liberal to be honest uh when he gives a fatwa saying it's halal uh to, for a girl in spain to remove her hijab during uh swimming class because it's required for her to graduate and we're not going to forbid our daughters from from an education and stop them all from graduating just remove your hijab during swimming class and then put it back on when he gives a fatwa like that he can only do that as someone that is very, very high in Islamic scholarship, mujtahid Mutlaq. Now, who said about that? Who who said who said that he has that level of other scholars, like Sheikh Hassan al who him is, who himself is a mujtahid, and uh, amongst others. And so, when when someone like Mustafa Akil, with all due respect to him, uh, he's a great journalist. You know, what I'm saying uh, he, he, uh, he he he's written for a bunch of people like the Wall Street Journal and, and Foreign Policy and other ones. When he walks around saying, I'm helping, like, like he writes books about Islamic reform, I, I, I apologize, but you just can't do that from the outside. It doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? If you look at Islam and you see, okay, this is, hey, this is really strict over here. Why is it like that? Let me change it. Let me publish a book saying Muslims need to fix this. It, that's just not how it works. It's, if, if, if there's an issue like that, you should bring it up with the, the real shiuch because those are the ones that have scholarly authority. Why is that the case? Who gave them, Who gave them that authority? Not any political institution, not any government gave them that power. It's from Allah. It says it in the Quran, the scholars are the inheritors of the prophet of the prophets. So, and and it also says that if you have a question, that you should take it up to the people of knowledge, and the tafsir says the people of knowledge are the ulama. And so when when you try to bystep that process, like, let me just skip that, let me just publish this book, it doesn't get received in a nice way. You know what I mean? Like no one, no one's gonna take you seriously. Just be like, okay. And that's exactly what happened. He published his books. And uh, I haven't read them to be honest, and it's 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 not not bashing him, but as far as I know, no one, no one really takes that seriously. And it happens this, all the this- time.
1: Is this the brother who's publishing books? Is he the one you were talking to in the class?
0: Yeah, when we were having oh, okay. that, that lunch, okay.
1: the luncheon. And you're saying he's not being taken seriously because of why? Because he just throws
0: when you when you give an Islamic opinion and you're not a scholar, why should I value that opinion? Like you right now, I'm if you if you say, you know what, guys, you don't really have to pray five times a day. We'll be like, Okay, word. We'll just keep walking, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Okay. Or, or totally okay,
0: sense. so so that's something that's more concrete. That can never change, right? Because there's hadith that explicitly say state state that you have to pray five times a day. Let's say something that's a little more murky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what guys? It's halal to donate your organs because this is something that's actually contested. Mm-hmm. Well, why would I take your opinion seriously? You have, you know, no precedent in Islamic knowledge. No one said to me Hey, if you want to learn about Islam, go learn it from Ahmad. If you want to ask a question about Islam, go learn. Because that, that's how they pass it on, right? Because yeah, from the yeah. Prophet's time, it was the Sahaba, right? That if you want to learn knowledge, go to the Sahaba. And the Prophet pointed at specific Sahaba. He's like, go if you have a question about this, go ask that guy. If you have a question about this, go, go ask that guy, right? And then the Sahaba passed it on to other sahaba. Like when a Sahabi, I think it was Abdullah bin Ahmad was like, Hey, I'm you know, I'm getting too old and I can't consult on your affairs. If you have any questions, go to the Sahabi. And then they would refer to the Sahabi. And then the Sahabi would refer to the tabi'in. The tabi'in are the, the people that followed the Sahaba, the generation that followed Sahaba. So the people that never lived to see the, the Prophet them, but they were right after the generation that saw. And then there's the atba'at tabi'in, the, the, the followers of the followers of the Sahaba. Okay. And so it, keep, it kept flipping down, like, okay, this guy has knowledge, this guy has knowledge, all the way to our time. And there's, there's a bunch of scholars throughout our history, like Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Hajar, you know, Al-Zahabi all these scholars throughout our time that people have said about them that, you know, hey, they're, you know, they're solid, look, go, and the format, the, the four, the imams of the madahib Shafi'i, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, uh, who's the other two? Hanbali Shafi'i, Maliki, Imam Malik, hanbali Shafi'i, Maliki. What's the fourth one? Absolutely. Maliki, Shafi'i, Hanbali. I can't remember right now. Hanafi, Imam Abu uh, Hanifa. Uh, and then it goes to our time. Go ahead.
1: So is that just the four schools of thought?
0: Yeah. Those, are, those methodologies were derived from four scholars of the past. Okay. Some people will come to you and say, Bab uh, al-Ijtihad, that there is no more formulation of Islamic opinion. That door has been closed. Not only is it closed, it's sealed shut. You can no longer form Islamic opinion. Some people literally say that. They have no precedent to say that. When did the Prophet ﷺ say no more ishtihad? We've been doing ishtihad in every single generation up to ours, and now you want to walk up and say there's no more ishtihad? What right do you have to say that? Who gave you the authority to walk around and tell other Muslims there is no more ijtihad? Who? Seriously, like, and it's ridiculous. Like, who told you we have a papacy? Who told you you're the pope? Who told you you're in charge? We don't have that. This is a peer review model. The only thing that gives you legitimacy is other scholars that offered you that legitimacy. So for you to walk around and say, you know what? I'm in charge. No one else can make it to It's like, dude, that is just so ridiculous. It's just, it really boggles the mind that you think you can do that. Some people also say, and typically the people that espouse these, the, you know, they, they, they give these positions. Are the ones from Saudi Arabia? You know what I mean. The really, really conservative scholars—the one that go, "No, no, no, we just follow Ibn Taymiyyah. we just follow Ibn Athamyya, Ibn Baz—we don't touch nobody else." They say, because there is a—they—they they have this famous website that everyone looks to, uh, and the only reason I know it is because I was actually told to—if I have a question—to go to that website. But, uh, anyways, without talking bad about anyone, Islam Q and uh, A—they say on it, someone asked the question: Uh ma, ma hiya, uh, basically in English what are the things that stay the same and what are the things that can change um, the question was directed based on this principle that there are certain things in Islam that stay stationary that never change and there are certain things that can change and the response was there is not some." to there is not something called the changeables in the religion at all nothing changes from now until the day of judgment from the Prophet ﷺ the Prophet's day of judgment nothing changes and who are we to say that something can change Hashanah, God forbid that anyone would change the religion besides the Prophet peace be upon him himself it's like wow okay uh, have you ever heard about islamic scholarship for the past 1400 years things have been changing all the time you know things have been you know new opinions have been formed based on new situations and circumstances all the time so how can you walk up and say that nothing ever changed uh, if you say that honestly there is no difference between you and the taliban you know because mm-hmm. that's what the taliban believes straight up the taliban look at what what happened during the prophet's time and they apply it to their lives why is it haram for um for you to talk to a woman without a barrier they they literally have these classrooms where the when when the teacher goes to teach like a girl quran right he puts a curtain between him and the girl my man she's literally wallahi she's wearing the niqab and the not even the niqab but the burqa like no, whoa, the burqa that comes over her head and everything you can't see anything and there's a curtain it's like where did you get that Oh, because in the Quran, it says that when they consult the Ummahatul Mu'mineen, the mothers of the, of the Prophet, or the Ummahatul Mu'mineen, the mothers of the believers, that, you consult them from behind a barrier. And so this is what we do. It's like, that was a special status given just to the mothers of the believers, the wives of the Prophet Who told you to apply to every girl? And on top of that, who told you to make that ijtihad that this is how you apply it? Who taught you this? And I was looking into it, and they say that the Taliban, they were trained up and taught by the Diobandi school. I don't know how true that is because you know, I'm pretty sure the Diobandi school is more Sufi than it is Salafin conservative. But this is what I think, you know what I mean, in terms of the uh, Afghanistan situation. Why is it that whenever there's a problem, the solution is let's go just – let's just bomb the hell out of them. You know what I mean? Let's just <laughs> – Let's just – let's fix this by killing them. Why, why, why didn't someone walk up and say, like, guys, we have a problem with extremism in Islam? Like I'm talking about the uh, – you know, someone in the government, like the Pentagon. Why don't they just go, yo, we got a problem with extremism? We know moderate Muslims exist. Let's go ask them about this. Let's go get some moderate allies. We have some moderate allies in, in the world. You know, We got countries like Jordan and Turkey and Indonesia and whatnot. Let's ask them if they can ship out their scholars – to, to to the Taliban and just have a frank and open conversation, a dialogue. You know, maybe they'll walk up and change their minds. Maybe they won't when nothing happens and they'll come back home. What do you think? Isn't that a feasible solution? Seriously. I am like, not one of authority to say one way or the other. No, I'm just saying from your opinion, like, like, dude, okay. If someone's extreme, like seriously, he's a Muslim, but he's extreme. Mm-hmm. He has very extreme ideas i.e. the Taliban. How do you change his mind? Like it's not one person. It's an entity. It's a bunch of people that propagate this belief and they're taught that this is Islam. How do I you change it? I personally that?
1: wouldn't believe that you could change your mind.
0: I think you can because it happens all the time. How? You dialogue. You come and teach me like, hey guys, um, uh, buddy, you're going against the entire precedent of Islamic scholarship. Like no one does this. No one, no one, literally no one believes in what you do today. Except a tiny minority of a few scholars that agree with your extremeness. You know? Because no one agrees with them. Like Sheikh al Dedu, Sheikh Abdullah Mbeish, Sheikh all these guys are like, they would literally call them out on it. And that's, I think that's really all it takes is someone to say, you're not practicing Islam correctly. And I don't, I don't know why. No one in the world thought about this. Maybe they did. Maybe when they brought the Taliban to a conference in Qatar, maybe some scholar walked up and like, hey guys, you got this going wrong and we don't know about it because it wasn't publicized and they ignored them. I don't know. But I honestly think that, dude, like seriously, when you bomb someone, that only increases them in their hate for you. And they'll just have more resolve. Like, see, I told you they'll kill okay, us. Okay, I can
1: agree that that what's being done about it is not the best thing that could be done. But I don't think that going and talking to them and saying, Hey, the way you're thinking is wrong because of this reason, so-and-so, that they're going to be like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Let me. Well, they might not, not, right?
0: They might not be receptive, but it's worth a try.
1: It's worth a try, but I don't think it would be that successful. Otherwise, it probably would have been done. There's probably some people in there that have thought that and left, and then, I don't know, it's, it's probably not as easy as we think to just leave the Taliban. Like, the people who are in there have been in there for a long time. They're probably
0: used to teaching people. They've been around in that environment. No, no. See, I'm not talking about leaving the Taliban or convincing people to leave the Taliban. I'm talking about reforming the Taliban. I'm talking. No, that ain't gonna happen. I'm telling you, dude. Anything is possible. Like anything is possible. People go from like extreme to the right, and then you can bring them just a tiny bit center, and then over time they change. Like, and and it, and it starts with okay. So first of all, why why is someone receptive to something that's extreme? Why is is why are the people in the Taliban? So inclined to believe that Islam is harsh and cruel and difficult. Why? A lot of things are because of the land within which you live. They call that in Islam, the customs, your upbringing, your habits, your daily life, the people that you can interact with. All of that has an effect on the scholars of your land, which is why historically, when you have a question, you ask the scholar of your land. You don't go to Saudi Arabia to ask, hey, this is Thanksgiving halal. You know, he's going to be like, What kind of holiday is that? Oh, it's an American holiday where there's <laughs> turkey and we do a little celebration. He's like, Oh, no, it's halal. It's, it's not haram. Or it's not halal. It's haram. Any un Islamic holidays. Like, dude, it's just not how it works. You go to the people of your land because they know what's going on. Go ask Sheikh Asr Qadi. Go ask Sheikh Hamas Suleiman. Go ask Sheikh Abu Isa if you're in the UK. That's, that's how it works. And so uh, when you're talking about the, the urf of a land, the customs of a land, and how it shapes society, If your land is war-torn and all you've ever known is bloodshed and killing and death and violence, you're going to have a very extreme view of the world. You know? I agree. So step one is to uh, let them live in peace. Just back up for a second. Let them live in peace. Let the situation stabilize. And then come in and do open dialogue. And see what happens. I think it's very possible to, to fix the situation.
1: I think it's possible. I don't think it's probable.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm more of an optimist. I think that it's a situation that you could easily fix. I think you can literally convert these guys. Not the, I'm going to have
1: to disagree. That is not an easy fix. Think so? No, no. If it was an easy fix, it would have been done a long time ago. Unless the U.S. is just not very smart at doing things. I mean, to be fair, half the capital or half the country is rioting, going crazy with Trump and whatnot, and the U.S. can't seem to solve that.
0: Yeah. Well, I think um, I think there's a lot of problems in the world, and you don't fix them by, uh, you know, bombing the hell out of the problem by pounding it with with war and and yeah. bombs and weapons. We like and-
1: to we like to fight fire with fire. yeah and
0: and, uh and you know you're only making a bigger fire yeah so uh and and the more you perpetuate violence the more they stay in a state of violence then their extremists will never go away they're just going to stay that way they're just going to continue to be brought up in a very violent situation and they will have a very violent view of the world and it's only natural to be violent if that's what you're getting your whole life you know that's yeah. not – because it's not unnatural anymore. It's, it's unnatural in a peaceful society to be violent because all you've ever known is peace. Why be violent? Yeah. And then all of a sudden someone just you know, changes your situation. It's like, whoa, what the hell is that about? I'm like why would you shoot up this place? No one did anything to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So but in their situation, well, violence is complete. Peaceful is a weird thing. It's like peace. Like what the hell is that? Oh, that's kind of sad. You know, human rights, what's that about? No one has human rights. Like, anything is possible. The only person that's in charge is the guy with the biggest gun.
1: Yeah.
0: So, yeah, until that changes, Thanks. I don't think they're ever going to change their views of Islam. Um, but, yeah, the the thing about the, uh, the scholars is that, and I was talking to someone about this actually uh, very recently, and it's a sheikh I love and respect and admire. But I just disagree with this, this opinion, is that uh, I was asking the question about how is it that a new opinion is formed, uh, a new ijtihad is formulated, and the times are moved forward, like Islam has is moved forward with the times because there are certain things that do change, believe it or not. There is tajdid, there is renewal of certain things. How does that happen with the times if people keep following a madhhab? which is, you know, it's got this core of scholars that are from a certain region, and you're asking a question about another, re- like, for example, let's say the Mannekeen madhab. they're in North Africa, mostly predominantly the North African, and you have a question about something in America. Well, how does it work that I can form a new Islamic opinion that applies to Muslims in the West when you're talking about asking a madhab that's predominantly from North Africa? And the response was, well, you have to wait until... Muslims in the West uh, become part of that methodology, that madhab, and over time, as scholars form from their ranks, they can then form Islamic opinions that change the madhab, that move the madhab forward. But let me ask you a question, and, and this, is, this is me talking to him. How many mujtahideen are there for that madhab in America? And, oh, it's very few. Okay, so then how is it going to happen? It won't happen. It's going to take time. And the answer is to just wait america islam in america is very new it's less than 100 years old it's a very new uh region for muslims new territory for muslims and in order for muslims to have a solid uh you know core of scholars you just have to wait and to me that's just ridiculous like how can i wait decades for an answer to a question when i can just get it right now you know what i mean yeah um and so there are people that believe that to move Islam forward to form new ijtihad and new opinions, you have to join a madhab. And there are some people that say, you know, you don't need a madhab. Like Sheikh is Vadawi. He's like, no, you don't need a madhab. If you study Islam and you get to a certain level of ijtihad, then you can form your own opinion. You don't have to follow a madhab. And so there's that dichotomy that people say no, you have to follow medicine and some people say no, you don't have to. And then some people go all the way to the right where they say there's no madhabs allowed in Islam. You can't even have, they call them the madhabia, the, the people that are against the madhab. Uh, and so i don't think that's right i think you know madhabs are good they they produce scholars for regions and 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 they're good and they provide value to the muslim ummah and there's a constant chain that goes all the way back to the prophets i send them it's not a bad thing it's a good thing but you can also have people outside of madhab that provide benefit and value to society like sheikh bin bayya like sheikhs like sheikh hasan these are all good folks that are providing new religious edicts for us to follow that are easy to follow that are not stringent that aren't difficult that don't call everything haram and the use of the word haram is for some people it's so easy on their lips but historically it hasn't been that way historically before someone would call something haram they would they would literally try their best not to call it haram because they don't want to be you know counted against for it on the, on the day of judgment you know they would say this is makruh or this is not mustahab this is hated or this is not something that is liked they would use that way more often than they use the word forbidden haram right mm-hmm. But today, people just drop that word all the time. It's haram, it's haram, it's haram. It's like, my man, like, you know, something that does not have concrete evidence that you want to call haram has to have unanimous, unanimous consensus from ulama. Something that is not clear cut, like hadith that explicitly says that alcohol is forbidden, right? You don't need a question about it. It's mutawatir. It's like everyone knows this. Other than alcohol, like something that's, okay, there's a question mark on it, like organ doning, right? Uh, or for example, music or something that's a little bit murky, right? For you to just drop the word haram. You literally have to have like really solid backing to use that word. You can't just use haram whenever you want. You have to have solid ijma consensus to then say, this is haram. Do you have that for those things? No, you don't. And people that say they do, they're lying. They're lying straight up. It's a lie. How can you say about something there's a when there's no jma when people questioned it? So, sorry, I got to use the mute button. My voice <laughs> got a my 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 throat got a little
1: oh dry. Do you got anything to say? Kind of wrap things up. Oh, you're tired? Any, no, dude, I'm 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 dead tired. Let's keep going. I I'm sleepy. It's okay, hard go. for me to. No, even no it's think.
0: fine we'll catch up tomorrow, uh,
1: so I do want to say um, and you can cut this part out if you need to but um, no, I thought we were doing this tomorrow morning so what are we gonna do tomorrow morning we'll do another one oh, so you doubling up yeah okay All right, I'm fine with that